Welcome to this week's bonus episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. In this special episode, trainee council chairs Drs. Becky Zahn and Ajay Major interview the blood editors Drs. Nancy Berliner and Andrew Roberts on their careers in academic editing and publishing, including career development tips for trainees who are interested in a career in publishing. Hello, everyone. Uh, I am Dr. Becky Zahn, and I am the current uh, chair of the Ash Trainee Council. Really excited to be here today. I'm also accompanied by the former chair, Dr. Ajay Major. Thank you very much. Glad to be here today. So exciting. Um, and we have our special guest here for the Blood and uh, Ash Hamadapoesis uh, Trainee Council um, combined podcast, which we're super excited about. And our special guests are Dr. Nancy Berliner, who is the editor-in-chief of Blood, and Dr. Andrew Roberts, who's the deputy editor of Blood. And we are ecstatic to have them here, and we have a lot of <laughs> exciting questions. So um, first, I just wanted to start with uh, how did you get into editing, and how did you find yourself where you are today? May I'll start, Dr. Berliner. <laughs> I was a literature major in college. And I did a lot of that kind of editing for, uh, for a long time. But I didn't really get into editing scientific literature until I was, until I started with Blood. Wow. I did a lot of reviewing for Blood. And I, at one point, spoke to the incoming editor-in-chief and suggested to him that he might, if he needed an associate editor, <laughs> One of the things I studied is is white blood cells, and there aren't very many experts in, mm -hmm. in neutrophils. And so they were looking for a neutrophil um, associate editor because my good friend who was the associate editor for that was stepping down because she had done her full term. And so I said, you know, if you need a, an associate editor, it'd be something I'd be interested in trying. Awesome. And he turned me down oh, and wow. told me that actually, <laughs> actually he wanted me to be the deputy editor. Oh. oh. So, <laughs> wow. That's so that's how I ended up as the deputy editor of Blood, and uh, and so I've done a lot of editing in the last ten years, and uh, and it's been a completely different experience from anything else I've ever done before. Yeah, that's incredible. We'll definitely dive into that more as well. Uh, Dr. Roberts, what about you? Well, I didn't get it into it by by design either. Um, <laughs> in fact, it wasn't on my radar. But um, like Nancy, I'd uh, written a lot of papers and uh, also done a lot of reviews. And then out of the blue, um, uh, Bob Lowenberg, the previous editor of Blood, asked me would I be on the editorial board. And then a second later said, oh, would you be an associate editor? Wow. And didn't have to think about it too long because... Uh, important important role and um, just flattered to be asked and then you find out how much hard work <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but he didn't have to do it for very long because two years later I twisted his arm and made me my deputy <laughs> thank you Nancy <laughs> <laughs> on the record <laughs> do you find that a lot of people kind of end up happenstance in this academic publishing world that's kind of interesting perspective you know, the thing that you don't realize before you get into it, you write a lot of papers. You know how, you you hope that you know how sure. to write a good paper and what needs to go in it and how to put it together. And you review a lot of papers. But the actual process of being an editor is in a lot of ways quite different mm -hmm. from any of the other things that you do. 
And so no matter how prepared you think you are, it's just a different experience and you have to learn how to do it and get comfortable with it. And fortunately, it turned out to be something I enjoy doing, but it's, it's definitely somewhat different from other kinds of activities you do around science and, and writing up your results. You learn a lot though, right? Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. yeah. Tell us more though, how, how is it different? I mean, I mean, how did that transition, how did you navigate kind of, what is the skill set? What's, what's, what's different? For one thing, most of the papers you are getting other people's opinions about. And so hmm. oh. <laughs> you have to sort of park your prejudices at the door and really be willing to be told what other experts think of what you're doing. Uh, if you're a, um, the, in the position we're in, a lot of the papers that we review are not really that close to what we've done in the lab because we are the associate editors for anything that one of the associate editors is an author on because they can't review each other's papers. Mm. Right. And so you really become very dependent on what other people tell you. So um, so it's it's a whole different kind of way of looking at it. I mean, obviously you read the papers and you have your own opinion and that will influence how you interpret what the re reviewers say. But you know, if the reviewers come back with completely different opinions from what you had when you first read the paper, it's on you to be flexible enough to think about it that way. Yeah, you, what I found is that you learn a lot about um, what's clear and what's not clear. So mm. you learn how to identify communications that are not just of high quality, but in clear in the message that mm. they convey. And when that happens, typically the reviewers all line up. They like it. Right and you like it and you're all on the same page and that's when it's when it's easy sometimes the reviewers don't agree mm -hmm. uh, and that's that's reasonably common it's when they totally disagree some say this is great and give you a reason and others say this is rubbish and give you a reason <laughs> that's that's when it tests you to uh, apply a little bit of judgment and ask the questions of the reviewers and the authors to help work out where the truth lies. So is that something that you're going back to both the reviewers and the authors and saying, we got this feedback, but what would be your response? How do you sort through that when the reviews are so dramatically different? Mostly we discuss that with other, we have the other uh, associate editors look at it. Mm. Got it. Okay. No, we don't go right back. We don't have a dialogue that would, first of all, be prohibitively time-consuming yes we call the sense. authors about every paper but also they they aren't they certainly aren't objective people to be right. able to figure it out and neither really are the reviewers so we if we are not sure and we can't come to uh, a conclusion on our own we tend to ask um, because again we have many papers that are written by the associate editors Andrew and I will discuss them with each other but otherwise we'll ask associate editors about about what's uh, how to interpret the, uh, the disparate reviews. Got it. But where we end up with is, isn't, is it uh, an accept or, 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 or revision? It's more, uh, do we take this further in blood mm -hmm. or is this, do we, do we think this isn't for blood? And so you get the feedback. Then you go back to the authors and you'll have critiques. You know, anytime you send a paper in, to uh, be considered for publication in peer-reviewed journal, 
you should expect some tough questions back yeah, absolutely. and some honest uh, feedback, um, which will be both hopefully positive and negative. And so it's at that point that the authors need to come back. And the onus is on the authors to resolve the outstanding issues and make our job easier. <laughs> and frequently they do one way or the other. Yes. <laughs> Why Again, it's about clarity. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. right, right, that right, right, right. Well, I mean, it's, that clearly sounds like a completely different skill set than anything we deal with as hematologists mm -hmm. and navigating all of these different opinions in the peer review process. And there's been a lot of changes in academic publishing. I mean, you've probably seen some new models that have been out about, you know, public facing peer review, you know, that sort of thing. I guess the, the question is, how do you both, you know, running this this premier journal think about peer review? I mean, does peer review matter? I mean, how do things, how things change in a modern era? The reason we have a premier journal is because of peer review. <laughs> <laughs> and we are hugely uh, invested in continuing peer review. And one of the most troublesome features of what's happening in academic scientific publishing today is the fact that there are certain changes in terms of access and other things which are really not that earth shattering sure. once you get used to it. But uh, side by side with that, a lot of the people who have championed that attitude have also sort of poo-pooed the necessity for peer review. They say, oh, just publish it all, put it all out there, let people do their own, use their own judgment. And so I think it perpetuates a lot of bad science mm -hmm. and bad uh, information. And that what, may, what distinguishes a good journal from a not good journal is how good their peer review is. And why do you think peer review is so important? Because I think that it's really important for experts to look at the data and tell you where, where it's weak and where it's potentially wrong. Mm -hmm. And ask all the questions that Andrew was talking about, about from the authors. And most people who are honest, I think, think their papers are much better after responding to peer review. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, whether you're doing clinical research or lab research, um, before you write the paper or as you write the paper, you get input from co-authors and colleagues and advisors, and that helps you shape the paper. Those people are invested and they might be quite close to it. Um, what, what really adds value and really sorts out whether you've nailed that experiment or that clinical data is convincing and your message is clear is what people who are experts but they're not invested think. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. their feedback is, um, I agree with Nancy, just makes every paper better. I think every paper I've ever written is better for mm -hmm. the critiques mm -hmm. I've got. I'm sure it's true for blood and we have a huge advantage because the hematology community is so supportive of doing peer review for blood. As a reviewer, you get something out of it mm -hmm. sometimes. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it feels just like a chore, but every time I think you're helping the authors come up with their best data, the best interpretation of it and a lasting legacy of the research they did. Well, that's, it's, it's great to hear because part of the reason we started Hematopoiesis, this ASH Training Council publication, is to give junior trainees an opportunity to have a taste of that experience, you know, read scientific works from their peers, think through it, think through the science of it, provide that kind of critical feedback. 
what advice do you do you both have for people who are maybe interested in trainees who are interested in a career in academic publishing? <laughs> Obviously, kind of fell into it, but I presume there are some folks who kind of say maybe that's something I want to do as more of a career choice or something more part of their career. So, if your natural bent is telling um, stories, communicating clearly to others, and you find that it's easy for you to cut through and move information that's blurry and make it crystal sharp, then I think editing and publishing is a great career for you. And whether that's your own work or other people's work, go for it. I think it can sit very nicely alongside a career in hematology as a practitioner or as a researcher, as an academic or even in private practice. And what would you recommend as a first step if trainees say, I want to get involved in blood or in editing, what would you, how would they do that? Well, we encourage the associate editors to invite uh, junior people to review. Awesome. And we do have a, um, a small but quite popular fellowship program for the journal, which allows people to become um, uh, sort of regular reviewers. They get assigned to uh, associate editor closely allied with what their research interests are. That's awesome. And they review usually one or at most two papers a month, and they discuss it with the mentor. They have access to seeing the other reviews, just like all the reviewers. They're not, they're anonymous, but they see, you see all the reviews that go along with the papers and try and, and get an experience with, with reviewing. That's, as we've said, somewhat different from becoming an editor, but it's sort of the first step. And there's nobody who ends up on an editorial board or as an associate editor who hasn't done a lot of reviewing. Yeah. So that's sort of yeah. the first step. That's fantastic. You got to kind of know what the peer reviewers are doing and have lived it to really, you know, mm -hmm. be kind of parsing through it. So and obviously for, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that, you know, it's incredibly uh, valuable learning experience to review papers, particularly early in your career. So, you know, when we're first starting out, we're reading polished manuscripts that have been peer reviewed and published in the journals. And you start thinking that's, you know, that's actually just the raw material. But when you start reviewing, you find, no, actually that's the, uh, that's the um, finally polished produced product. And, and here's more the raw ingredient. And that'll more closely resemble what you're starting to do in your own mm -hmm. writing. And I think it helps you feel better about what you're starting out with. You learn from other people's mistakes as you learn from your own. Obviously, you two have had, it's uh, during your tenure uh, <laughs> at Blood, it's been an interesting climate, sociopolitically. <laughs> and I think Dr. Dr. Berliner is what I'm gonna ask about, but uh, you know, that editorial that you wrote around the time that, you know, there was the Roe v. Wade decision about reproductive justice, reproductive rights, you know, Tell us a little bit more about what your thought. I mean, that's a that's a profound piece to come out of out of a journal like Blood. I mean, what was your what was your thought process behind that? So, I I was very conflicted over writing that editorial. I had no problem writing it. I mean, writing the content of it was completely obvious to me and completely. I mean, I had a few people look it over and give me some suggestions, but it, it I I thought about it and thought about it, and then I sat down and I wrote it in about a half an hour. <laughs> wow. But I thought a long time before I decided that it was an appropriate thing to have in the journal because 
you know, Blood is not a political mouthpiece. Right. It's a, it's a scientific journal. And I think there's no question how I feel about this issue, right. but I'm not a spokesperson for the Blood readership. I'm an, an editor and producer for the Blood readership. On the other hand, um, it is such a pressing issue that has such importance for hematology patients mm -hmm. that um, that I decided that it was it was a, a statement that needed to be made. Um, I have to say that I didn't get many much negative feedback for it. I got a lot of a lot of positive responses, but um, but it's definitely much more in another part of my life that this came out of rather than the idea that I run a scientific mm -hmm. journal or edit a scientific journal. And um, so it was, I was, you know, I was very proud of it because I thought it, you know, said what I wanted it to say, but it was not an obvious um, venue for, for, for publishing that. Having said that, there are many journals who have in the, wake of this in OBGYN and in general mm -hmm. medicine where editorials addressing this. So I think when you have something that's so critically important to the profession and and to the population as a whole, but specifically the focus being on, on our patient population, that you kind of have to take a chance. It was an incredible article. <laughs> Thank you. But it does, it does, you know, certainly right. Blood is not a political journal, but I mean, you've done quite a bit of diversity, equity, inclusion work, advocacy work as part of internally within the journal um, and increasing the diversity of your viewers and the editors. I mean, it does speak a little bit, I think, more largely to what, you know, you're trying to accomplish maybe from an advocacy perspective with the journal. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, Blood is about uh, communicating new knowledge and new ideas, and it's trying to speak about hematology across the world. So it is the premier journal of the American Society of Hematology, and it speaks loudly to North America, but we'd like to think it also speaks very loudly across, across the globe. And intrinsic to that is hearing different voices from different perspectives, all focused on the science or knowledge or interpretation thereof, and so we're always asking uh, the question of ourselves and our processes, are we giving opportunities for all the voices that should be heard to be heard? And Nancy's been a champion of trying to ensure that we're getting the right balance where we have areas of control. So that's the editorial board, invited uh, articles, commentaries, and, and other content. And that wherever we receive submitted articles uh, from, that they're dealt with equivalent respect, diligence, and that the reviewers uh, also have a diverse background to them. I think it's helped the quality of the work that we publish and that it's the future of publications. Uh, we need to be able to speak to everyone. That means we need to be engaging with everyone. And how does that process work in terms of choosing reviewers? Obviously, you look for experts in the field, but there are people in different areas. How do you ultimately decide which uh, couple of reviewers you choose for the uh, articles? So, I mean, every every 
associate editor has their own uh, way of doing this. We have urged them to be sure that they consider inviting. I mean, when we first looked, the percentage of commentaries that were written by women was embarrassingly low. Hmm. And that was because the invited commentaries come from reviewers. So the implication was mm -hmm. that the number of women who were being asked to review papers was embarrassingly low. And all you have to do is, is I mean, these are, you know, these are all committed and right-minded people. All you have to do is tell them that, and they start asking women to review, and you start getting more women reviewers. I mean, it's, it's really... That's awesome. And, and we have really put a lot of effort in making our editorial board and the AEs uh, diverse with regard to gender, with regard to minorities, and with regard to geography, which is a major undertaking mm -hmm. sure. because mm -hmm. those are three considerations that, and you know, it's not that big a group, so it's uh, it's a constant kind of uh, it takes constant attention to to do that. I find that, um, and and it's the one part of the process we can control. Obviously, there are also more articles coming to us talking about issues of diversity. That's a whole separate kind of, of field, and, um, and those articles are welcome. They're subject to the same level of review as any other paper, of course, but it's a growing field, and there are more, um, more papers all the time that address these issues with regard to clinical trials and things like that. But the part that we really can control is the manpower part, mm -hmm. and we've been trying very hard to do that. Yeah, I, I think I'd just add to Dr. Bellina's comments by um, emphasizing the fact that quality is number one for blood, and that's uh, we're looking for the best papers, we're looking for for the best reviewers, and if we're inviting a commentary or an opinion piece, we're looking for what we think will be uh, the highest quality there, and that'll usually be someone uh, bringing a perspective uh, that's both balanced and insightful, something mm -hmm. a bit a, a bit fresh, and will help other people understand what's going on. So, in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space, because blood is about science, what we're looking for is quality and methodology of assessment of what's going on, trying to get to the root cause about what are barriers or, or what is the disadvantage or what is the lack of inclusion in a methodologically rigorous way. Mm -hmm. And articles that have that speak volumes because they're more than an opinion, whether it's right or wrong, they're more than mm -hmm. an opinion, mm -hmm. they're lasting facts and they'll endure over two, five, ten years. That's the stuff we're uh, aiming for in blood. That's great. And I feel like a lot of these fields are growing. Like we talked about DEI, global health. Uh, where do you think blood is going? What does the future look like? Uh, we'd love to hear the inside scoop. What's the vision? Five, <laughs> 10 year goal. Love it. <laughs> Five, 10 year goal. I won't be still doing this. <laughs> You'll still be reading it. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> right. Um, so this is an ongoing conversation that, that the journal has had and the publications committee with the journals has had and whether there should be, you know, we, one of the things that came out of that several years ago was we started Blood Advances. Mm -hmm. And um, and that has fulfilled, uh, has filled a great need that yeah, we have. Yeah, certainly. Absolutely. It's, 
it's really been uh, spectacularly successful. Yeah. And it also kept a lot of very, very good research that was not actually quite at the level that um, that would come to blood within the blood and hematology space mm -hmm. in our family. Mm -hmm. And so there are always discussions about whether we should have more of those journals. And that's, you know, every journal in the world is making is making those kinds of considerations. So I can't predict the future, but um, that's certainly something that's considered on the horizon, possibly. I think that the other things that are coming, there's going to be some structural changes in how we present mm. the journal mm. related to the NIH's mandate that mm. yes. everything mm -hmm. yep, needs course. to be open. And so we will be spending a lot of time defending peer review from those people who link those two things, that peer review is not necessary because everything is open, which is what has our, has always been the major feeling about the threat of that thinking. Mm -hmm. I guess the, the the future of blood is is going to be about what we talked about. It's going to be about uh, maintaining uh, very high quality and uh, trying to publish the most novel and correct science and clinical research and articles that are definitive. So uh, you read that, you know what to do, or you know those facts. That's what's going to end up in the textbooks. But it was written in blood first. <laughs> And um, that's been the case for 76 years. So yeah. we anticipate it's going wow. to keep going that's well beyond awesome. both that's of us. So cool. wow. I think we've got about five minutes left. I'd, I'd be curious, kind of getting, since we've now explored the entire history, past, present, and future <laughs> of blood, apparently. Um, what is, what is getting back to, I think, the initial comment we talked about, what is, how has been an editor really been integral to your career, your identity as a hematologist? Like you personally? Well, having sort of uh, backed into it initially, <laughs> um, I was, uh, I, I had absolutely no idea what it was going to be like. I have to say that one of the things that's most fun about it is that you see everything. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so you really get a sense of where the field is going and you feel integrated into mm. the progress in the field. So that's the upside. I must say there are some downsides. <laughs> um, people don't like to be told no. Fair. Valid, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Especially in academia. Yeah. In academia, right? <laughs> and so, um, you know, the previous, I, one of the previous editors in Blood used to say, you know, we get our name tags. If you're the editor of Blood, you get a little ribbon that says Blood Editor-in-Chief. And he said, he refused to put that on because it was like drawing a target on the back. Because he thought that he was Walking around in ad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ad. We'll not be wearing that. <laughs> and so, uh, so you know, it, it is interesting. You learn a lot about people. Mm -hmm. And uh, and you, you know that there are some people who know never means no. And um, and that's that's an interesting perspective on life as well. But I think the biggest part of it is uh, other than the time commitment, which has been quite a bit more than I would have expected, um, is that you really feel very close to the field mm. and you get mm -hmm. to know a lot of really incredible people. Yeah. Working with the associate editors, working with the editorial board is really uh, a hugely enlarging perspective for your career. 
And so, um, so it's, it, I, I think it's been great. And Andrew's not allowed to say no. he doesn't like it because I just <laughs> So being an associate editor and a deputy editor at Blood is uh, a highlight uh, of my time in hematology mm. for me. I'm a better writer because of it. I'm certainly mm -hmm. a more compassionate reviewer <laughs> because of it. And, you know, I, it's a challenge and it's an honour because you're trying to make sure we're presenting the very best of our profession in a way that will not just have an impact immediately, but will also in, endure so that uh, everything we publish, when the authors look back in a year or two or five or 10 years, they're, they're even more proud of it than when they published it. And we want to feel this, the, 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 the same way. So I love hematology more because I've been doing this editing work uh, for for blood. So I'm very grateful to the American Society of Hematology for the opportunity. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, I think that's a perfect place to end. That was, uh, it was so fun and enlightening to get to speak with Dr. Berliner, Dr. Roberts. Um, and we just feel so fortunate to be able to do this podcast um, with blood and come out of Oasis. And uh, thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you all. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this special blood podcast. If you would like to see how this podcast took shape, you can view the video on the ASH YouTube channel. This presentation is copyrighted by the American Society of Hematology.